Section 16 of the late Mattia Pascal by Luigi Pirandello, translated by Arthur Livingston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Chapter 16. Minerva's Picture. Quite before the door was opened to my ring, I knew that something serious had happened inside. I could hear the voices of Papiano and Paleari away out in the street. It was the caporali woman who finally came, pale and in great agitation, to let me in. So it's true, is it? she cried. Twelve thousand! I stopped in my tracks, breathless, dismayed. Scipione Papiano, the half-wit, crossed the entry at just that moment, barefooted, his shoes in his hand, and his coat off. He too was pale and frightened. I could hear his brother Terencio vociferating violently. Well, call the police, call them, and be damned! A flash of bitter anger at Adriana ran through me. In spite of my prohibition, in spite of her promise, she had spoken. "'Who told you that?' I almost shouted at Miss Caporale. "'Nothing of the kind. I have found it again.' The piano teacher looked at me in amazement. "'The money! Found again! Really! Oh, thank God! Thank God!' she exclaimed, raising her arms devoutly. Then she ran on ahead of me into the dining-room where Papiano and old Anselmo were screaming at each other at the tops of their voices, while Adriana was weeping and sobbing. "'He's found it! He's found it again!' Sylvia called exultantly. "'Here is Mr. Mays now. He's gotten his money back.' "'What's that?' "'Back! Really?' The three of them stood there in utter astonishment. Adriana and her father with flushed faces, however, while Papiano, wild-eyed, ashen-pale, seemed staggered at the news. I eyed him fixedly for a second. I must have been paler than he, and I was quivering from head to toe. He could not meet my gaze. His body seemed to sag at the knees. His brother's coat fell from his grasp. I went close up to him and held out my hand. I'm so sorry. Excuse me, please. And all the rest of you. No, cried Adriana indignantly, but she pressed her handkerchief to her mouth. Papiano looked at her and dared not offer me his hand. Again I said, I beg your pardon, and I forced my clasp upon him, for the satisfaction of sensing the tremor that was vibrating through his whole body. His hand was as limp as a rag. He had the look of a corpse, especially about his dead and glassy eyes. I'm extremely sorry, I added, for all the trouble, for the very serious trouble I have caused you. Unintentionally, you may be sure. Not at all, Pagliari stammered. Not at all, or rather, yes, if I may, you see... It was something that really... Yes, it couldn't be so. There. Delighted, Mr. Mays, my congratulations. So glad you got it back. Your money. Because... Papiano passed his two hands over his perspiring brow, ran his fingers through his hair, took a deep breath, and then, turning his back to us, stood looking through the French doors out upon the balcony. I am like the man in the story, I began again, smiling. I was looking for the donkey, and I was on its back all the time. I had the twelve thousand lira in my pocket-book. The joke is on me. Adriana could not stand this. But you looked in your pocket-book, and everywhere else in my presence. Why, there, in the cabinet— Yes, signorina, I interrupted, severely and firmly. But I couldn't have looked carefully enough, since now, as you see, I have found the money. I ask your pardon, particularly, signorina, for this oversight on my part must have cost you more suffering than any of the others. I hope, however, that now— no 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 cried adriana breaking into sobs and dashing out of the room with silvia caporale pursuing her 
i don't understand exclaimed pagliari in amazement papiano turned angrily towards us well anyhow i'm going to clear out today it would seem that now there is no further need of of he gagged as if his breath were giving out finally he decided to address me though he did not have the effrontery to look me in the eye i i couldn't believe me i couldn't even say no when they right here why i went right after my brother who irresponsible sick as he is who could be sure he might have i dragged him in here by the collar a terrible scene i made him take off all his clothes to search him even under his shirt and in his shoes and stockings and he oh at this point his voice choked again and his eyes filled with tears then he added in a broken husky tone well they were able to see but of course since you but after what has taken place i am going away no you're not i said by no means on my account no you must stay here i'm the one who's going to move if anybody is why the idea mr mays said old anselmo in sincere protest even papiano struggling with the tears he was trying to suppress made a negative gesture at last he was able to explain i was i was going away anyhow in fact all this happened because i without meaning anything in the world announced that i was intending to leave on account of my brother who really should not be kept at home any longer fact is the marquis gave me see for yourself i have it here a letter for the director of a sanatorium in naples i have to go to naples anyway for some more documents the marquis wants and my sister-in-law who holds you quite properly in high in the very highest esteem jumps up and says no one is to leave the house that every one of us should remain indoors because you well because you had discovered that to me her own brother you might say yes sir she said it to me i suppose because i poor i grant you but honest after all i am under obligations to pay to my father-in-law mr paleari here what in the world are you dreaming of now exclaimed paleari interrupting no said papiano drawing up haughtily it's on my mind i'm bearing it in mind don't you worry and if i go away poor poor scipione papiano seemed unable to control his feelings any longer and burst into tears outright paleari deeply moved and very much perplexed did not know what to make of it all well what's scipione got to do with that my poor little brother papiano continued with such a ring of sincerity in his voice that even i felt a choke gathering in my throat i concluded that his emotion was due to an access of remorse on account of his brother whom he had used in the venture whom if i reported the matter to the police he would have blamed for the theft and whom he had actually humiliated by the insulting search no one understood better than papiano that i had not recovered the stolen money my unexpected declaration coming to save him just when he was thinking himself lost and was about to accuse scipione or according to his premeditated plan to suggest that the half-wit alone could be responsible for such a thing had thrown him completely off his pins he was weeping now either from an uncontrollable necessity for giving some vent to his inner strain or because he felt that he could not face me except in tears these tears clearly enough were an overture of peace to me he was kneeling in humble surrender at my feet but on one condition that i stick to what i had said about finding the money again for if profiting by his present abasement i were to return to my charge he would rise against me in a fury put it this way he did not know he was never to know anything at all about the theft 
my generous falsehood was saving only his brother who as i should understand could not be punished anyhow in view of the boy's mental infirmity on his side i should observe he was pledging himself indirectly but clearly to repay the paleari dowry all this i read in his tears but at last anselmo's exhortations and my own prevailed upon him to master his agitation he said he would go to naples but return the moment he had found a good hospital for his brother cashed certain interests he owned in a business he had recently started with a friend and copied the papers the marquis needed by the way he concluded turning now to me it had quite gone out of my mind the marquis requested me to invite you for to-day if you are free along with my father-in-law and adriana oh that's a good idea exclaimed anselmo without letting him finish yes we'll all go splendid we have a good excuse for a bit of diversion now what do you say mr mace shall we go so far as i am concerned i said with a gesture of compliance well shall we make it four o'clock then papiano proposed wiping his eyes for good this time i went to my room my thoughts all on adriana who had answered my story about the money by running away from us in tears supposing she should come now and demand an explanation certainly she could not have believed what i said what then could she be thinking that in denying the theft i had intended to punish her for breaking her promise why had i done so come to think of it of course because the lawyer whom i had gone out to consult before bringing criminal charges had assured me that she and everybody else in the house would be brought under suspicion she to be sure had announced her willingness to face the scandal but i obviously could not allow that just for the sake of twelve thousand lira she accordingly could interpret such generosity on my part as a sacrifice made out of love for her another humiliating lie forced upon me by my circumstances a loathsome lie which credited me with an exquisite and delicate act of unselfishness all the finer because in no sense had she requested or desired it was this the way i should reason why no not at all not at all was i crazy following the logic of my necessary and inevitable falsehood i could reach quite different conclusions bosh this notion of generosity of sacrifice of affection could i engage the poor child's emotions any further no i must suppress i must strangle my own passion and neither speak to adriana again nor look at her again in any intimate way well in that case how could she reconcile my apparent generosity with the demeanour i should henceforth maintain toward her along this line i would be forced to use her revelation of the theft a revelation which i repudiated at the first opportunity as a pretext for breaking off relations with her but was there any sense to that no there were but two possibilities either i had lost the money in which case why was it i did not have the thief arrested but instead withdrew my affection from her as though she were the guilty one or else i had really gotten my money back in which case why should i cease loving her a sense of nausea disgust loathing for myself seized upon me at least i should be able to explain to her that there was no whit of kindness involved in the matter that i took no legal steps because i couldn't because i couldn't well i would have to give some reason i couldn't let it drop like that perhaps i had stolen the money myself in the first place yes she might easily draw that conclusion i could let her think so or i could explain that i was a fugitive from persecution a man in trouble compelled to drop out of sight and so unable to share his lot with a wife lies lies nothing but lies for that poor innocent creature well the truth perhaps a truth so improbable that even i who had lived it could hardly believe it so 
could i tell her such an absurd tale such a disordered fancy and in that case to avoid one more lie i should have to confess that i had told nothing but lies hitherto that would be all a truthful explanation could possibly amount to and it would neither make me less of a scoundrel nor ease her suffering i do believe that in the state of exasperation and disgust in which i then found myself i would have made a clean breast of everything to adriana if instead of sending silvia caporale she had come to my room herself to tell me why she had gone back on her promise not to talk for that matter i knew already from what papiano had said miss caporale added that adriana was inconsolable why should she be i asked with forced indifference because the piano teacher answered she does not believe you have found the money it occurred to me just then an impulse quite in harmony moreover with my mood at the time that one way out of it would be to make adriana lose all respect for me let her think me a hard selfish treacherous trifler whom she could not love that would serve me right for the harm i had done her she would be terribly hurt for a while to be sure but in the end she would be the gainer she doesn't believe it how is that and i smiled shrewdly at the caporale woman twelve thousand lira signora that much money doesn't grow on every bush do you think i would be as cheerful as i am if i had really lost it but adriana said she tried to add nonsense plain nonsense i continued interrupting it's true that look i did suspect for a moment but i also told miss paleari that i could not believe such a thing possible and in fact well you say it for me what reason could i have for claiming i had recovered the money if i hadn't miss caporale shrugged her shoulders perhaps adriana thinks you may have some reason but i told you no and no it is i hurriedly interjected remember it was a matter of twelve thousand lira now a lira or two would not have made much difference but twelve thousand my generosity is not so great as all that she must be thinking i'm a hero when silvia caporale went away to report to adriana i wrung my hands and dug my teeth into my knuckles was that the way to go about it as it were trying to pay her for her crushed illusions in my regard with the money they had stolen from me could anything be meaner cheaper more cowardly i thought of her in the next room there raging at me probably despising me not being in a position to understand that her grief was my grief too yet that was the way it had to be she had to hate me despise me as i hated and despised myself what was more to increase that hatred and contempt i would now be very courteous toward papiano her enemy as though to compensate him in her eyes for the suspicions i and she had had of him and my thief himself would be disconcerted confounded even to the point of thinking me perhaps a lunatic what was left could i do anything worse yes one thing we were going to the giglios that very day i would begin paying open court to pepita pantogada that will make you scorn me more than ever adriana i groaned writhing on my bed what else what else can i do for you shortly after four o'clock old anselmo in formal dress came and knocked on my door i'm all ready i called rising and throwing on my coat are you going that way asked paleari in astonishment why i asked but then i noticed that i had on a scottish cap with a visor that i usually wore about the house i put it into my pocket and reached for my hat while anselmo stood chuckling and chuckling to himself where are you going mr paleari i asked as he suddenly turned away why i'm as daft as you are he answered pointing to his feet i was going in my slippers just step into the other room mr mays 
adriana is there and what is she coming to she didn't want to called pagliari moving along toward his quarters but i made her change her mind she's in the dining-room with her things on with what cold and severe reproachfulness miss caporale stared at me as i entered the room caught in a hopeless passion herself she had been so often comforted by this simple inexperienced little child now that adriana understood what the world was like now that adriana had been hurt sylvia rushed grateful and solicitous to her rescue what right had i to make such a good and pretty little child unhappy as for herself sylvia neither good nor pretty men might have some excuse for being mean to her but not to adriana not to adriana this she seemed to be saying with her eyes as she invited me to survey the wreckage i had made in the life beside her and in truth how pale how bravely pale adriana was her eyes were red with weeping what an anguished effort it must have cost to get up and dress to go out for an afternoon with me notwithstanding the state of mind in which i went on the party the personality and the home of the marquis giglio dauletta aroused some curiosity in me i knew the reason for his residence in rome he saw no possible way to the restoration of the kingdom of the two sicilies except through the victory of the temporal power once the pope could recover his capital the kingdom of italy might go to pieces and in the upset who could tell the marquis was not strong on prophesying one thing at a time attend to the job in front of you for the moment war without asking or giving quarter and in the clerical camp and his salon in fact was the rallying place of the most intransigent prelates of the curia and the most valorous laic champions of the blacks on that day however we found no other callers in the vast and sumptuous drawing-room conspicuous in the middle of the floor was a painter's easel with a canvas about half finished it was minerva pepita's lapdog a black little beast stretched out on a white sofa her pointed snout resting on her two front paws by bernaldez the spanish artist announced papiano gravely as though he were making an introduction that required an unusually low bow from the rest of us pepita pantogada came in followed shortly by her governess signora candida on previous occasions i had seen these two women in the semi-darkness of my room now under a full light miss pantogada seemed a different woman not as a whole perhaps but in respect of her nose what had i ever seen that nose before i had imagined it as a small upturned affair impudent rather than not but no it was strong robust aquiline a stunning girl all the same dark complexion flashing black eyes coal-black hair wavy and shiny thin lips sharp keen sarcastic bright red painted almost rather than fitted on her slender shapely form a dark dress with white lace-work the soft placid beauty of the blonde adriana faded under the brilliancy of this superior glow and bless me at last i solved the mystery of that steeple on signora candida's head it was it was first of all a magnificent blondish wig of waved hair and pitched if i may say so on the wig a sort of tent a broad light blue kerchief or mantilla of silk that was drawn down and knotted coyly under her chin a magnificent frame truly for such a plain lean angular washed-out face which inches of rouge and powder and so forth could not improve meantime minerva was barking so vociferously that we were hardly able to exchange formalities but the poor doggy was not barking at us she was barking at the easel 
and at the white sofa which she remembered as instruments of torture apparently the protestant lament of an incensed soul yelp get out of this room yelp get out of this room but the easel stood there unperturbed on its three legs so minerva retreated slowly on her four barking showing her teeth returning to the charge retreating again in terrible commotion a fat chubby body on four over slender legs minerva was not a pretty dog many times grandmother i imagine there was no sparkle in her eyes and her hair had turned grey in places on her back just forward of her tail was a bare spot resulting from the habit she had of scratching herself furiously on the rungs of chairs on the corners of bookcases on anything hard and sharp that would reach that particular trouble this i knew already however finally pepita seized minerva by the nape of the neck and tossed her at signora candida scolding chito which was pantogadiz for zitto shut up and don ignazio giglio dauletta came hurrying in he trotted so round-shouldered he bent almost double to an armchair he always sat in next to a window fell into his seat brought his cane to rest between his two legs and finally sighed a heavy sigh and smiled a wan smile at his mortal weariness his face clean-shaven shrunken furrowed all over with deep vertical wrinkles was of a corpse-like pallor in contrast with his gleaming ardent almost youthful eyes down over his cheeks his temples and the sides of his head thick shags of hair trickled like tongues of wet ashes speaking in an obtrusive neapolitan sing-song the marquis welcomed us with great cordiality asking his secretary to continue showing me the mementos of which the room was full all testimonials of his fidelity to the bourbon dynasty here was a small framed picture as i took it to be curtained by a green cloth which bore in letters of gold the legend non nascondo riparo alzami e leggi i conceal not but defend lift me and read the marquis asked papiano to take down the picture and bring it to him it was not a picture at all but a letter framed under glass through which pietro ulua writing in september eighteen sixty among the last gasps of the two sicilies that is invited the marquis giglio dauletta to assume a portfolio in the cabinet which was destined never to take office in the margins was a transcript of the marquis's acceptance a ringing document the latter branding with infamy those men of prominence in the realm who in the moment of supreme danger and anguish for their sovereign with the filibusterer garibaldi hammering at the gates of naples declined to shoulder the responsibilities of power as the old marquis enunciated these documents aloud he became so wrought up that i could not help admiring him although everything he said offended my sensibilities as an italian he too besides had been a hero after his fashion as i learned from a story he told in comment on a fleur-de-lis in gilded wood that was also on show in the parlour there it happened on the fifth of september eighteen sixty the king was leaving the royal palace in an open carriage attended only by the queen and a few gentlemen of the court on the via di ghiaggia the carriage was held up by a jam in the traffic in front of a pharmacy which bore the sign of the lilies of gold a ladder running up to the side of the building from the middle of the street was the cause of the congestion carpenters were at work on top of the ladder removing the lilies from the front of the shop the king called the queen's attention to that act of cowardice on the part of the druggist who in more peaceful times had been only too glad to vaunt his royal brevet as an honour to his store well he the marquis dauletta happened to be passing at the moment and in a rage of indignant loyalty he ran into the shop collared the offending pharmacist pointed to the king out in the street spat in the man's face 
and went away brandishing one of the fallen lilies as a trophy viva il re the marquis was as proud of that old shop sign as he was of this golden fleece his keys as a gentleman of the king's chamber his trappings as a chevalier of saint gennaro and all the other decorations on display in the drawing-room under two full-length portraits of their majesties ferdinand and francis II. as soon as i could i broke away from papiano and paleari to execute my base design i approached pepita pantogada it did not take me long to see that the young lady was in a very bad humour with a case of nerves she first wanted to know what time it was quattro e mezzo four thirty very well very well that she was not overjoyed to find it was four thirty i gathered from the tone of the very wells and from the voluble and in the circumstances bad-mannered tirade on which she then launched out against italy in general and against rome in particular rome so stuck up over its blessed glories of the past the Colosseum. what was the Colosseum? they had a Colosseum tambien in spain just as big and just as old and we don't swell up and burst every time we walk by it pile of dirty stone piedra muerta anyhow if you want to know what a theatre is come to spain and see one of our plazas de toros and your old paintings why i'd rather have this picture of minerva here that bernaldez is poking along trying to finish in time for kingdom come yes that was it pepita wanted that picture and she wanted it right away it was four thirty and bernaldez had not appeared she fidgeted around on her chair rubbed her nose opened and closed her hands with her eyes fastened on the drawing-room door at last the butler announced bernaldez and the painter came into the room panting and perspiring as though he had had the run of his life but pepita's attitude at once changed with a flounce she turned her back on him and stared the other way affecting an air of cool and collected indifference bernaldez went over and shook hands with the marquis bowed to us each in turn and then approached pepita speaking in spanish and begging pardon for his tardiness pepita now boiled over and when she spoke it was in a torrent of pantagadese first of all you speak italian since these people do not know spanish and i think it bad manners for you to use spanish with me in the second place i care not for you for your picture for you come late for your excuse for nothing bernaldez did the best a fellow could do in such a case he smiled nervously he bowed chivalrously finally he asked if he might resume work on the picture since there would be still an hour of light as you say she answered in the same manner you paint the picture without me or you rub it all out it is one to me bernaldez bowed again and turned to signora candida who was still holding the dog pepita had thrown into her arms poor minerva's hour of torture was beginning again but her suffering was as nothing compared to that of her executioner to punish bernaldez for being late pepita began to flirt with me and with an ardour that seemed to me excessive even for the purpose i had in view a glance in adriana's direction warned me of the extent of that poor girl's distress it could not for that matter have been much greater than minerva's nor manuel bernaldez's nor mine i could feel my face flaming redder and redder as though i were intoxicated with the anger i knew i was arousing in that unfortunate young man i had no pity for him but just a fiendish delight in his torment my thoughts were all for adriana she was being hurt to the quick why should he not be also in fact i seemed to feel that the more he suffered the less her pain might be certain it was that the air in the room was becoming electric with a tension that must soon reach the breaking point 
it was minerva who brought on the storm since pepita was sitting with her back to the easel and the sofa the little dog was not being cowed as usual by her mistress's sharp eyes so the moment the painter turned to his canvas minerva would cautiously rise from her pose and first one paw forward and then another would eventually get her nose and head under the cushions as though she were trying to hide at any rate when bernaldez would turn around again he would find himself confronted not by his pose but by the hind legs and the curly upturned tail of his unwilling subject several times already signora candida had put minerva in place again bernaldez fuming with rage meantime and commenting under his breath on a word of endearment that he would catch every now and then from pepita's conversation with me i say under his breath his remarks were not always inaudible exactly and more than once i was tempted to inquire did you say something mr bernaldez finally his patience gave out and he exploded miss pantogada will you at least be kind enough to keep this little bitch of yours where she belongs vich 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 cried pepita jumping to her feet and turning upon the poor painter livid with rage you dare call my dog a vich but a dog doesn't mind coarse language i was unhappily prompted to observe i didn't realize at the moment that a man in bernaldez's state of excitement might catch an allusion where none in the least was intended i was not criticizing his choice of words nor did i even think that he might take my dog as referring to himself but he broke out my language is no business of yours monsieur under his fixed aggressive provoking stare i felt my temper begin to rise i could not help replying i must say signor bernaldez you may be a great painter what's the matter piped the marquis noticing our hostile mood bernaldez dropped his brush and his palette and strode over till his face was a few inches from mine a great painter say what you are going to say monsieur a great painter yes but your manners aren't all they might be and besides you frighten the dog there was a sting of contempt in the tone of every word i uttered yes said he but we'll see whether it's only four-legged dogs that are afraid of me and he drew back pepita now began to shriek hysterically and she had technique enough to fall fainting into the arms of papiano and signora candida in the confusion i turned my attention naturally to the girl whom they were easing on a sofa but i suddenly felt a clutch on my arm bernaldez was upon me i was just in time to parry the blow he had aimed at my face and to throw him back with a hard push again he rushed barely missing my cheek with a furious stroke it was my turn to attack but papiano and pagliari had jumped between us bernaldez was backing out of the room shaking his fist at me consider yourself thrashed monsieur consider yourself thrashed i am at your service at any time the people here know my address the marquis was standing in front of his chair trembling and shouting i was struggling to get free from pagliari and papiano to pursue my assailant the marquis at last was able to make himself heard you are a gentleman said he you must send two of your friends to settle your accounts with this fellow to me he must explain how he dared attack a guest of mine in my house i was quivering with excitement and barely had breath enough to wish the marquis good day i left at once followed by papiano and old anselmo adriano remained to assist in reviving pepita whom they had carried to another room now i had the privilege of getting down on my knees to the thief who had robbed me and asking him along with pagliari to be my second to whom else could i appeal me asked anselmo in honest stupor me why my dear mr mays you must be joking me 
never in the world why i know nothing about such business all nonsense anyhow really now isn't it you must i retorted energetically not choosing to begin an argument at just that moment you and mr papiano will be so good as to go at once to that gentleman's house i i not a single step my dear boy ask me anything else at your service but just this no sir not my line in the first place and anyhow nonsense nothing serious little rumpus like that why so excited no you're wrong there interrupted papiano noticing my furious rage it is a serious matter mr meis has a right to demand satisfaction in fact he's in honour bound to demand satisfaction he's got to fight he's got to fight so you then i said you go with a friend of yours i had not expected a refusal from papiano but he opened his arms in a gesture of apologetic helplessness you know how i should like to help you out but you won't i stormed stopping in the middle of the street wait let me explain mr mays he answered humbly just see listen notice the fix i'm in remember i'm bound hand and foot secretary servant slave of the marquis what's that got to do with it the marquis himself don't you remember yes i know but tomorrow a clerical and the party his private secretary mixed up in a duel the end of me i can tell you and besides that little wench there didn't you get the point head over heels in love with bernaldez tomorrow they kiss and make up and then where do i stand eh the end of me so sorry mr mays but try to understand my position just as i say so you're both going to ditch me i answered at my wits end i don't know another soul here in rome but listen there's a way there's a way papiano hastened to advise i was going to suggest you see both my father-in-law here and i would find it difficult impossible in fact you are right no question of that you're right every reason to see it through can't overlook a matter like this well you just apply to two officers in the army they can't refuse to represent a gentleman in an affair of honour you go to them explain how it all happened they often do such favours for people not known in town we had reached the door of the house so you won't very well i said to papiano and i turned on my heel without another word walking away aimlessly my brain reeling from my overwrought emotion again the thought of my crushing my annihilating impotence had taken possession of my whole consciousness could a man in my circumstances fight a duel could i never get it through my head that i could no longer do one single blessed thing two army officers excellent but just as a starter two very proper questions who was i where did i come from no the plain simple fact people could spit on me slap my face thrash me with a whip and i could ask them to lay on a little harder please but for heaven's sake to be quiet about it two army officers and let me give them just the least wee little inkling of my real status well in the first place they wouldn't believe me and who knows what they might suspect in the second place i would be as badly off as with adriana if they did believe they would suggest i come to life again since a dead man what's the use had no standing vis-a-vis -vis the code of honour so i could swallow a good appetite to you the insult of bernaldez as i had swallowed the theft of papiano slink away with my dignity wounded my courage challenged yes with my face slapped slink away like a coward out of sight into the dark again the dark of an intolerable future where i would be an object of hateful loathing even to myself future indeed could there be any future how could i go on living how endure the sight of myself 
no enough of this enough of this i stopped everything whirling dizzily about me my legs giving way at the knees a sinister impulse rose suddenly in my heart giving me a cold shiver of horror from head to foot but before that i said to myself my brain rambling before that why not try if i should succeed but try anyhow just to get back a little of my own self-respect if i should succeed not quite such a craven coward in my own eyes and what's there to lose by trying why not try i was a few blocks away from the cafe aragno there there catch as catch can the first one i come to in my blind agony i went in in the outside room around a table sat five or six artillery officers and when one of them noticed me standing there pale wild-eyed hesitating i bowed to him slightly and with faltering voice began i'm sorry excuse me might i have a word with you he was a beardless young chap hardly graduated from the academy it seemed to me he rose and came over toward me answering me courteously what can i do for you signore why it's this way may i introduce myself adriano mays i am a stranger in town i have no friends here i've had trouble a point of honor i need a couple of seconds i don't know whom i could ask if you and one of your friends surprised perplexed the man stood looking at me for a time then turning to his comrades he called grigliotti grigliotti was a lieutenant of the upper numbers with an upcurled moustache a monocle crammed willy-nilly into an eye socket and smooth well-massaged cheeks he got up from his seat still talking to the men at the table i noticed he spoke with r's that were really w's and stepped our way making a slight somewhat constrained bow to me the moment i saw which man grigliotti was i felt like saying to my cadet not that man please not that man but as i afterwards recognized no one else in the group could have been so well qualified for the task in hand as he the articles of the code of chivalry he knew from a to z such a line of talk as he gave me about my case and all that i must do i was to telegraph i forget exactly what to a certain colonel state my grievance fix the main points clearly and then go in person to see him dire, see the colonel that is precisely as he grigliotti had done once before he was not yet in the army at the time when something similar had happened to him in pavia it was because in these matters of honour you see laws of chivalry and so on and so on till my head was a whirl of articles precedents courts of honour and points well established in practice i had not liked the man from the moment i set eyes on him imagine how i felt now when confronted with this dissertation on chivalry finally i could endure the strain no longer and i exclaimed impatiently but my dear sir that's all very well you're quite right i dare say but how will a telegram help in my present situation i am all alone here in a strange city and i want to fight a duel understand right away tomorrow if possible and without so much nonsense what difference does all this stuff make to me i mentioned the matter to you gentlemen in the hope well excuse me in the hope that i could get somewhere without all this all this fussing there my outburst provoked an answer from grigliotti in the same tone and we were soon engaged in what amounted to a brawl both talking at the same time and at the top of our lungs but at a certain moment loud guffaws of ridicule from the officers about me brought me up short i turned and hurried away my face aflame with indignant humiliation as though i had been whipped with a lash where could i hide the laughter of those soldiers seemed to pursue me as i fled my hands to my head my brain in utter confusion should i go home 
no i shuddered at the thought of that i kept on walking walking straight ahead frantically at last i noticed that i had slackened my pace and then finally i stopped to catch my breath to rest a little for i had no strength left to sustain the stinging smart of that ridicule which kept pulsing through me in waves of frenzied vengefulness i say that i stopped i did stop and i stood some moments without moving my mind gradually becoming a blank then i began walking again but now i was strangely relieved all feelings of bitterness gone from my mind a curious stupor replacing them here was a shop window bright with its display of wares i approached and studied the objects with a meticulous absorbing interest the lights went out the stores all along the street were closing yes they were closing for me eternally people were going home leaving me alone a solitary wanderer on deserted streets all doors and windows closed all lights extinguished silence and solitude for me eternally i moved along as the city went to sleep life itself seemed to recede from about me as though it were something remote intangible without meaning or purpose had the sinister intention matured spontaneously within me i do not know but at last involuntarily guided as it were by that inner determination i found myself on the margarita bridge leaning over the parapet and gazing terror-stricken down into the black swirling stream down there in that water i shuddered but it was not with fear it was a violent outburst of anger an uprising of all my instincts of life in ferocious hatred against those who are now bringing me here to the end they had assigned me back in the flume of the coops at miragno yes those women romilda and the widow pescatore they had brought me to this pass i would never have thought of feigning suicide to get rid of them and yet now after two years of living like a ghost in the illusion of a life beyond the death they had wished upon me here i was dragged by the collar to executing their sentence upon myself they were right after all i had really died like the corpse they found they were free of me though i was not free of them and i rebelled could i not get even with them somehow instead of killing myself suicide how could a dead man ha <laughs> ha a dead man commit suicide a nobody commit suicide i straightened up as suddenly everything seemed strangely lucid and clear to me get even with them but what did that mean it meant going back to miragno didn't it it meant shaking off the lie that had throttled me it meant coming to life again to spite them to chastise them with my real name my real personality my very very real misfortunes ah yes but my present fix could i cut loose from the present that easily could i throw aside my life in the via ripetta as one did a bundle of rubbish for which there is no further use no no that i could not do i knew i could not do so so i stood there in anguished bewilderment uncertain as to a decision by chance i put my hand into my pocket and my nervous fingers came in contact with something which i did not at once recognize with an angry twitch i pulled it out it was the cap that i had always worn on my trains and about the house the cap in which to old anselmo's delight i had started out to make my call on the marquis and which i had thrust into my pocket distractedly i was about to toss the thing into the water when in a flash an idea came to me something i had thought of long before on my trip from alenga to turin rose clearly to my consciousness here i muttered almost involuntarily to myself here on the railing of this bridge my hat my cane yes just as they did on the bank of the mill flume at miragno there mattia pascal 
here i adriano meis tit for tat i come to life again to their undoing the joy that seized on me amounted to an exultant inspiring frenzy of course of course to kill myself the self which they had killed would be absurd absurd i must kill rather the ridiculous fiction which had tortured and tormented me for two long years i must put an end to that wretch of an adriano meis who to live at all had to be a coward a liar a worthless miserable outcast adriano meis a false name for a mannequin with a brain of sawdust a heart of rags and veins perhaps of rubber with coloured water for a weak diluted blood away with such an odious fiction drown him as they had drowned mattia pascal exactly tit for tat first their turn and now mine adriano meis a ghastly life springing from a ghastly lie finish him then with another falsehood just as gruesome and that was a way out of everything what better reparation could i make to adriana for the wrong i had done her but could i swallow the insult from that boor of a spaniard a coward assailing me there by surprise under conditions where a fight was impossible could i swallow it i the eye that was really i had not a trace of fear for the man of that i was sure he had not insulted me he had insulted adriano meis well adriano meis could swallow anything of course he could was he not killing himself yes that was the way the only way out i was trembling from head to foot as though i were really about to kill someone but my brain was clear as crystal my heart light with a sudden buoyancy that was almost gay i looked about me over in that direction on the lungo tevere someone must have noticed me standing on the bridge at that hour a policeman perhaps on lookout for just such tragedies i had to make sure so i walked along first into the piazza della libertà then along the river boulevard the lungo tevere dei melini no one i retraced my steps but before going out on the bridge again i stopped under a street lamp in the shadow of some trees my notebook i tore out a page and wrote on it in pencil adriano meis anything else well my address perhaps yes and the date that would do that would tell the whole story adriano meis his hat and his cane as for the rest well a few clothes and a few books i could leave them back at the house nothing much the money left from the robbery i had with me i stole along the bridge bending low behind the railings my legs were shaking under me and my heart was all a throb i selected the darkest spot over the river took off my hat slipped the note behind the ribbon and set the hat with my cane on the broad stone top of the parapet on my head i crammed the cap i so luckily had with me the cap that had suggested to me the means of my escape and keeping to the shadows i moved stealthily away sneaking along like a thief in the dark not daring to turn my head end of section 16